Today on the Kewl Podcast, Evander Kane exposes the NHL Department of Player Safety. Coaches can't chirp referees, but officials can chirp the players. Montreal is going all in, but why? And trade season is well underway. I'll discuss all that and more on this episode of the Kewl Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Kewl Podcast. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kewl. And boy, guys, we have us a wonderful show here today, stacked with hashtag content, because there has been a lot going on in the week that was of across not just the NHL, but the sporting world in general, as trades have been blowing up my phone for the last six hours. I'm trying to keep tabs here on the NHL or hashtag NHL and hashtag hockey Twitter. Tim and Sid, there was a, something going on just a few minutes ago before I started recording this podcast today. Someone tweeted, the Carolina Hurricanes tweeted, the hashtag Canes have acquired goalie Mackenzie Blackwood and defenseman Sammy Vatnin in exchange for goalie James Reimer and defenseman Hayden Fleury. Now, the funny part is, is that they actually created a URL for details for this trade. And it's funny because if you look at the, this Twitter account, it has like a J next to it. So it's at Canes underscore 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 because it was, it's, a, it's a burner. Well, not a burner account, but it's a joke account. And the funny thing was just a couple minutes after they tweeted that out, it had a graphic and everything. It had welcome to Raleigh and it had like, you know, flurry and rhymer on it and everything. And the Carolina Hurricanes commented right away, no, we haven't. That's, that's what they said, all in lowercase. Pretty much shooting them down right away. I saw that from the Tim and Sid Twitter account. So I'm just trying to keep everything all together here. And Bob McKenzie just tweeted a few minutes ago, but Vegas and Los Angeles are working on finalizing a deal that would send Alec Martinez to the Golden Knights. Most telling sign would, will be if Martinez is in or out of the Kings lineup here tonight against Winnipeg. Tonight being February the 18th on a, for a Tuesday night. I'm trying to figure out what day it is now because uh, it's been a kind of a blurry, weird day. All sorts of stuff going on. But it has been quite the week. And now everyone's reporting Alec Martinez to Vegas. So we'll make sure we have the official word on it before I get it to you. As I hit the refresh button, literally just being making sure here uh, before I say anything. Now, Almar, I guess Mark Antoine Godin is, I guess, kind of all sorts. He is Mark Antoine Godin, by the way, the writer for the Athletic Montreal, managing editor and senior writer for Athletic Montreal, Athletique. He's saying it's literally D-Day in the NHL. Get it, D-Day, because of all the other trades that happened, which we will get into here momentarily. And But first, before we get into any hockey stuff, we must talk about what happened last night at the Daytona 500. Ryan Newman in a horrific accident as they crossed the start finish line. Denny Hamlin winning the race, the first ever repeat winner of the Daytona 500. Unfortunately, marred by the incident. Ryan Newman got into it when he was trying to block on the last lap, ended up getting turned sideways, and we were going 195 miles in the tri-oval. You are going sideways, and it Hits the wall, starts flipping, gets hit while he's upside down on the driver's side. And 
for those that I guess don't know, I, we don't talk about, we talk more about wrestling more than we do anything else here on this podcast. But I, my brother and I, Alex, who unfortunately could not be here today due to prior obligations, we're racing fans. We're NASCAR fans. I work at Berlin Raceway during the summer. It's a fun job. I go there. I talk to drivers. I put a microphone in front of their face. They sometimes drop an F-bomb in there. It's fun. It's great. But we've been racing fans since I was a kid. And I can remember going to the track when I was little. And Dale Earnhardt was always one of my favorite drivers. Then, then again, he was pretty much everyone's favorite driver, it seemed like, back then. Unless you're my mother, who was a big Jeff Gordon fan, which my dad always despised. But Newman, or excuse me, go back to Earnhardt. That day... I can remember it very vividly because, you know, when you're five years old, you remember when you don't like some things are a bit of a blur to you. It's still something because it happened 19 years ago today. 2001 Daytona 500 would have been the greatest event in the history of NASCAR because it was the first and they signed this huge TV deal with Fox and Fox was going to go see the entire season going wall-to-wall coverage of the race and it was going to be awesome. And the final laps coming down, Michael Waltrip, who had never won a race, was leading Dale Jr. and Dale Sr. right behind him protecting DEI cars. And Junior is all of a sudden well out ahead. Junior and Waltrip well ahead of the pack because Dale Senior was doing one thing he had never done before, and that was not trying to win a race. He was trying to block. And but as they're going into the final corner, here there's the image of Waltrip and Junior coming around from the TV angle on Fox. Waltrip and Junior are well out front. All of a sudden, you hear whoa, big. You hear Waltrip and McReynolds yelling whoa and. You see Earnhardt in the wall. Don't forget, Dale Earnhardt had been through some of the worst wrecks in the history of NASCAR. He had been flipped to Dega in 96. He had been, gosh, broke his leg at the old Pocono, broke his leg in Atlanta. I mean, he he was one tough customer. He, I mean, they called him Ironhead as a joke for a reason or not because he'd wreck every single race, it seemed like. So... And then, of course, after the race, Earn, they pronounce Todd Helton goes in front of everybody and says Dale Earnhardt passed away. And as a, I wasn't even six years old. I was four days removed from turning six years old, and I had never remembered crying so much. There are three. There are three days in my life that I remember crying. Probably, you know, I don't mean to be funny about this, but crying a river. My mother's friend, Sherry, passing away, who was considered our Aunt Sherry. The passing of my grandfather when I was nine. And Dale Sr. dying in a car accident. It's still with me today, which is why... When I watched that last night, I didn't watch the entire race because it had been moved to Monday because of the rain delay. But I was able to catch the end of it because I kept seeing they were going to, it was late in the race because I'm like, oh, Daytona, Dega, all the super speedways. The last 10 laps are the greatest 10 laps in sports just because of how wild they are and how chaotic they are. 
Now, if some of you don't remember a few years ago when Dale Jr. won the summer race, the, it was the, now the Pepsi, or the Coke Zero 400 now, the, the summer race at Daytona. Austin Dillon across the line gets turned up, goes into the catch fence, and takes it half it out going down the front stretch. A lot of people remember that in a bad way, obviously, because fan safety was involved there, but nobody was seriously injured. So fast forward to last night. Newman gets turned, flipped, and you hear Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon, because this is supposed to be a big moment for Denny Hamlin. First ever repeat winner of the 500. It's never happened before, but yet they could tell right away the way Newman was hit, the way he was flipped. The fact that he was that close to winning the race in general and they knew right away that it was bad. And they brought out the black screens to protect the fans that were in the front row. Obviously, if you're up top, you could see kind of what was going on, but you couldn't see Newman. And boy, and Denny Hamlin did donuts and nothing against Denny Hamlin. That's the spotter's job. The spotter's already taken responsibility for it. Joe Gibbs himself was in victory lane because they stopped the celebration saying they he literally apologized. Joe Gibbs, coach, apologizing for them celebrating because they did not know what had happened. I guess they, it somehow got passed over. It didn't get passed on to them. They didn't know how severe it was. And then Ryan Newman did go to the hospital. And then thankfully, I think it was about 10 o'clock, 10.30 last night, they announced that they were not life-threatening, life-threatening injuries. He was in serious condition, but they said that he was up this morning. Well, he was awake this morning talking to the doctor, talking to his family so definitely good to hear. But, man, that was the first time in a long time that I had been, like even the wreck a few years ago at Daytona, that was, that was nothing. I had not felt that sick to my stomach after a wreck since finding out about Dale Sr. Because, like I said, when I saw Dale wreck in that race, I'm like, he's okay. But then after they took him to the hospital and everything, it started to get a little eerie. So when I saw it right away with Newman, it was it just took me back in the worst way. I never want anyone to ever experience anything like that. It's, I mean, every, I mean, people were there live watching it. I mean, imagine, because there were, oh my gosh, the, the, the Twitter was awful. You think hockey Twitter's bad, folks. That, that hour and a half after the wreck until they actually probably got it figured out of what was going on and what Ryan Newman's status was, was the, I, I was scared to death because people were already saying he was dead. People were saying he was conscious. People were saying he was okay. Some people were said he was paralyzed. There was everything under the sun. It was not good to be a part of that. I was reading and Kelly was sitting there next to me too. She's like, stop it. Just get off Twitter. Do it now. Do it for yourself. And I'm like, I, 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 couldn't I was kept looking I was waiting for something anything but I just kept seeing all this BS and I was like oh my goodness but until they until they announced it I was literally scared because we everyone was everyone that's ever followed the sport whether it be this their first year they've been doing it for a hundred for 20 years everyone knows where they were when that happened, were they at the race? Were they who were they were watching it with TV? I remember it was mom, dad, and Alex. That's how it was. We're at the old trailer park. I remember to this day 
watching the race and going crazy because, yay, Michael Waltrip won, Junior finished second. Oh, Dale wrecked, but it's okay. He'll be fine, but it was just... That was a tough day, very tough day, and thankfully today it was not a tough one, just a, just obviously a big sigh of relief that Ryan Newman's okay and obviously thoughts on his recovery and hopefully he's able to continue on you know, with his life. I, I doubt he ever gets back in a race car, but hopefully he's able to live a long, happy life with his family. All right, let's get to the hockey now. That's obviously something we should probably talk about. The couple things we're going to mention, we did, I did mention earlier that a couple players were being held out for precautionary reasons, and one of them, as announced just 10 seconds ago by the Los Angeles, 27 seconds ago now, excuse me, LA Kings defenseman Alec Martinez will be held out of tonight's game against the Winnipeg Jets for precautionary reasons. So, all signs are pointing towards Martinez getting moved to Vegas, if it's possible. Well, if that's, you know, the, the possibility. Kyle Palmieri also being held out tonight for precautionary reasons from the New Jersey Devils. And I think, you know what, I did have a couple things I wanted to start with in terms of storylines, talking about Vander Kane and Claude Julien and such, but let's get into the trade stuff now. Talking about interim general manager of the New Jersey Devils, Tom Fitzgerald. Tom Fitzgerald is clearly trying to rip that interim tag off of his nameplate on his desk. He has done a lot in the last 24 hours, particularly yesterday. Everyone's having a nice Sunday dinner. Tom Fitzgerald is in his office making phone calls, making everyone mad because every day is a work day for a general manager in the National Hockey League. But let's get to what New Jersey did yesterday. Their first big move, sending Andy Green to the New York Islanders for David Quinville and a 2021 second-round pick. Now, that second-round pick is the Islanders' second-round pick. And the Quenville edition is just more or less a defenseman covering for the loss of Andy Green. Andy Green now is, was, excuse me, a captain of the New Jersey Devils. And boy, he's going all out, is Tom Fitzgerald. And here's the big part about it as well. Remember how it was a big deal when we said how David Poyle was able to sell P.K. Subban for not, retain, not retaining any of the salary? Big move here by Fitzgerald. All $5 million of Andy Green's salary not being retained by the New Jersey Devils. Now, here is, I guess, the, I don't want to say the sad part about all this thing. It's the fact that Andy Green was pretty much, I don't say giving up for nothing, but David Quimble, I don't know what he's going to be. He is a right-handed defenseman, but he's hasn't done a lot currently with Bridgeport, the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. He's bounced around the ECHL a little bit. He had a pretty solid career with the Medicine Hat Tigers back in his WHL days. It's more or less just you know dumping the Andy Green salary and getting a possible future in a, in a second-round pick coming up in not this year's draft, but the following years. And I like this move because, like I said, you're going to get a little younger and you're clearing up cap space because eventually the idea is that the Devils can make a run. And don't forget, folks, we're only probably four or five months removed from talking about how the Devils were supposed to be, I'd say five months actually, because once the season started, we all realized the Devils were not going to be good this year. But we were in September saying, wow, this New Jersey team, this Metro division, it's it's going to be interesting here, guys. It's you know, it's anybody's ball game here, except for Columbus. But even though we realized that we were all wrong, because here we are now, New Jersey's in dead last. Rangers are stinking up the joint. We don't even know if the Hurricanes are going to make the playoffs. Islanders are still one of the best defensive teams in the league. They started turning things around. We'll get to them here in a minute. 
But I mean, it's Washington, Pittsburgh up top, just like it was for the last half decade, last decade, I should say, even before when it was the old, the old Atlantic and the Southeast, those two teams were towards the top of the Eastern Conference. And there they are now once again. And the Devils, what they're going to get is they're going to get a veteran defenseman. And that's important for a team that wants to not make it past a, they want to go further in the second round. They don't want to just beat Pittsburgh. What they want to do is they want to be towards the top of the league. And you're looking at the other defenseman he is joining is Andy Green. He is joining guys like Johnny Boychuk, you know, Devin Taves, Nick Letty. So you have a little bit of a mix here between veteran and younger talent. You know, you have Taves, you have Pellick, you have Mayfield, you have, have a very, very young Noah Dobson, who I still think is not quite there yet. But adding that second piece, especially a left-handed shot as well, on a team that has you know, a plethora of right-handed shot talent, it's important to have a guy like that in the lineup, a guy that I mean, he has been in the Stanley Cup Final. He was there in 2012 with the Devils. So he can bring that experience to the Islanders. Now, yes, I can agree with you that Andy Green has not had much recent playoff experience, but he's going to bring that for the Islanders. The other big trade that Tom Fitzgerald made yesterday, and probably the biggest of the bunch, Blake Coleman going to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that's definitely a big move because Blake Coleman, who is not a huge point getter, is currently at 31 points in 57 games this regular season. He has already, he's, excuse me, he's not already done it yet, but he's on his way to hitting his career best. He put up 36 points last season with the Devils in 78 games, had 25 the year before, and Right now, at this pace, he's going to be probably hitting about 40 points by the end of this regular season, especially he's playing on a Tampa Bay Lightning team that can find a way to score goals. And I can tell you, find a way to score goals. And this is a big move here for the Lightning because now you're just adding depth pieces because obviously this Tampa Bay team has gone from, are they actually going to make the playoffs this year to, all right, this team's good again. They may have a shot here. That's what we're looking at with this Tampa Bay Lightning. They're not going to be a team that's going to outscore their opponents. They're trying to learn how to win. And that's why I keep saying, congratulations, the 2020 Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. You become the best team in the league. You learn how to lose. You learn what it's like to be embarrassed in the playoffs. And guess what? You're going to try to do everything you can to win the cup, not just win games in the regular season. Shoot, I'm pretty sure Tampa doesn't care if they win the division. They probably just would be okay with finishing second, getting home ice at least in one of the playoff series, and take it over from there. And that's pretty much, I mean, that's what I would want if I, I mean, isn't winning the cup better than winning a president's trophy? You get a banner nonetheless, but isn't it a little bit better if you win the Stanley Cup? I mean, I could be wrong here. I'm a Leafs fan. I don't know what it's like. But right now, Tampa is only a single point behind Boston. Each team has 22 games left in the regular season. Tampa right now 40-15-5 with the Bruins 37-11-12. So it'll be interesting how to see Blake Coleman if he really has much of an impact. Tampa, though, with a big overtime win last night against the Colorado Avalanche in Denver as well. They're really hitting their stride here in the second half of the regular season. Let's get into some more trades here as I quickly refresh the Twitter here to see if there's anything going on right now. Just trying to figure out if there's anything more here. Let's see, Dylan, talking about Brendan Dillon. May as well get into that trade. Brendan Dillon being moved on over to the Washington Capitals, the 2018 Stanley Cup champion, trying to bolster up their back end 
on their way towards the trade deadline and the postseason coming over from San Jose. And what San Jose is getting in return is the Colorado's 2020 second round pick, which the Capitals received in the Andre Burakovsky trade, and a conditional 2021 third round pick if the Caps win, which is the Caps win the cup this year, the 2021 pick becomes Arizona's 2021 pick, which they also received in the Andre Burakovsky trade, which the Arizona Coyotes received well back before then. So pretty much what it's saying is instead of San Jose, or instead of San Jose receiving Washington's 2020 round, 2021 pick, they will receive Arizona's 2021 pick. Does that make sense? And Washington keeps their pick. So pretty simple for the most part. And by the way, shame on me. I forgot to mention what is going back to the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Blake Coleman trade as I make a quick rewind here. The Devils are getting Nolan Foote and Vancouver's 2020 first round pick. Now, which they received, remember, in the JT Miller trade from Tampa Bay. So pretty much they are, I mean, they're getting Vancouver's 2020 and the funny thing about this trade is the conditions that were traded in the JT Miller trade still apply to this trade, and that is if the Canucks do not make the playoffs, that first-round pick will move to 2021, and Vancouver will keep their 2020 first-round pick, which is very interesting because as I was looking up, I was looking at their cap friendly, the New Jersey Devils, and let me tell you right now, it is a very interesting thing because as of right now, I'm going to quickly pull it up here so I make sure I get it right on what is possible for the New Jersey Devils coming up here. The New Jersey Devils have an opportunity to have three first-round picks coming up this year. They In the Taylor Hall trade, they got Arizona's first-round pick under a condition. Ready for this? The condition is if Arizona's top 20 or 2020 first-round pick is in the top three, New Jersey will get 2021 pick from Arizona. They'll get their 2021 first if Somehow Arizona wins the lottery and tanks off the board. Currently looking at Arizona. Arizona right now is holding that second wildcard spot with 68 points, three points ahead of Nashville. So at this moment, that pick would go to New Jersey, all things considered. Now back to the other draft pick. Like we said, the Vancouver one, that is the 2021 pick that Tampa Bay acquired when they traded JT Miller to the Vancouver Canucks. And the pick is, if the Canucks do not make the playoffs this year, that first-round pick will move to 2021. Vancouver right now, as we look at the standings, are still now third in the Pacific Division, one point behind Edmonton and Vegas, who each have 70 points through 59 for the Oilers and 61 games for the Vegas Golden Knights. Vancouver having two games in hand on Vegas. Right now, Vancouver sitting fine at the moment, but currently realistically only two points out of a, from falling out of a playoff spot. So a lot to look at here if you are the Van, for New Jersey Devils because you are looking at one of two things. You are looking at either having three first-round picks in the 2020 draft or possibly giving if Vancouver and Arizona somehow fall off, you'll have three 2021 first-round picks. So no matter what, New Jersey is sitting absolutely in a wonderful position right now. Tom Fitzgerald doing a great job with possible three first-round picks in one of the next two years. 
Now, granted, yes, Vancouver could fall off. Arizona could sit fine, and you have two and two. But still, two in the first round this year, two in the second round next year, or two in the first round in 2021. I'd like to think that's a, not a bad deal. You know, like a, it's like a two for five when you go to the grocery store or something like that. Hey, you can either have three of this right now for $5 or three of it next week for $5, or you can have two for two right now. How about that? That's a horrible, you know, met, you know, horrible comparison, I'm sure, for some of you, but that's kind of what I mean by that. And so Brendan Dillon going to Washington, that was a big move for the Capitals, who are more or less just like, all right, let's just deepen this thing a little bit here. By the way, Brendan Dillon joining guys like Tom Wilson and other big guys for the Capitals. That team is going to be mean come the playoffs. They currently hold a one-point lead on the Pittsburgh Penguins for the lead in the Metropolitan Division with 79 points through 59 games. Pittsburgh having two games in hand on the Capitals with 78 points. So Washington maybe uh, checking the rearview mirror a little bit as Pittsburgh may have a chance to win a division title for the first time. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to think the last time they won it, probably 20... Gosh, 2015, 2014 here. Let's take, I'm just going to do a quick rewind here because I'm pretty sure they have, the Capitals have not, or the Penguins have not won a division title in some time. 2014 was the last time they'd done it. So it'd be over half a decade. Let's put it this way. Even the Rangers had won a division title since then. And Pittsburgh won it in the first year of the current format of the divisions as 2013-14 was the first year for the Metropolitan, Atlantic, Pacific, and Central divisions, erasing the three division setup that had been ran for, gosh, how many years now? At least 10, 10, 15 years? Well, not 15 years, more like 20 years. It had been a while since they revamped it, ever since they got rid of the old Norris division, the Adams division and such. It's funny, they had all the cool ones like the Smite division, the Adams division, and uh, the Norris, they had all the cool names, and then they decided let's make, let's let's do let's do it regionally, because that's always fun, right? So, going back to some more trade talk, probably one of the bigger ones, I guess. I don't say bigger, but maybe a minor deal in terms of who has who. Um, but talking about the Winnipeg Jets acquiring Dylan Demello. From the Ottawa Senators. Not a huge trade in terms of star power, but Dylan DeMello, who is pretty much a solid depth defenseman for a team like the Winnipeg Jets, who currently right now are sitting there trying to find their way to see if they are going to be a contender this year. They need to add defense for sure. Winnipeg right now, just outside of a playoff spot, tied with Nashville for 65 points. Each of those two teams behind Arizona who has 68. Winnipeg, though, the big part for them, two games in hand on the Coyotes, who have played 62 games. Winnipeg only 60. They've also played three less. They played one less game, excuse me, than Calgary, who has 61 games. So there's an opportunity for Winnipeg, and Winnipeg currently is chasing, at least in the division, Colorado, who has 73 points. That may be a little bit of a stretch for the Jets. But Winnipeg, I think, if you're Kevin Dayoff. You're not going to try to sell the farm to make a run this year. You don't want to be a team that's trying to sell or trying to buy just to make the playoffs. That's not a system that works in the current cap era. You're just trying to find a way to maybe compete a little bit more, and that's why you get a guy like DeMello to add to the back end. Realistically, it's going to be tougher to see Winnipeg moving on up. They have not been strong as of late. They're really a team, they're a team that has not done 
extraordinarily well at home, despite the home ice advantage, you think, at the MTS Bell, Bell Place. They have not been able to really exceed. They're only 15, 14, and 3 at home. They've actually had a better record on the road. Granted, they played a few less games there as well. But they're 5, 4, and 1 in their last 10. They won the other night, but I don't see the Jets making many more moves. I know people think, hey, if you just get one guy here, one guy there, yeah, but look who you already have. You have Mark Shifley, you have Blake Wheeler, Patrick Lyon, you have Connor Hellebuck in goal. Realistically, if you if you ignore the back end, this is the same Winnipeg Jets team that made it to the conference finals a couple years ago that lost to the Vegas Golden Knights. It's pretty much the same team. Yes, you're without Truba. Yes, you're without Ben Sherratt. Yes, you all pretty much the only defenseman you have left from that team is Morrissey, Adam Morrissey, but and yes, he's not a number one defenseman. I'm surprised people are figuring this out now. I could have told you guys that when he was playing when they were making it to the conference finals. He was a good defenseman, not a number one defenseman. But offensive wise, this team should not be having this many issues. They're just falling cold right now, and that's what's really hindering them. When this team does not score and and Hellebuck does not keep the puck out of the net, this team doesn't succeed. And fortunately, that's how some teams need to play. And the Leafs are kind of experiencing that same issue right now themselves. Granted, yes, they are in a playoff spot at the moment, but they've relied on their scoring and their goaltender. When one's not working, the team doesn't win. That's how she goes. And Winnipeg's seen that in the hard way right now. They are within striking distance. It's possible, but they have to do with the team they have now because... They don't have a whole lot of room to play with. They are trying to get rid of the buyout of Dustin Bufflin. They are trying to fight through a couple other injuries as well. I know that. And, I mean, look at all the guys they have on IR right now. They just announced Brian Little is done for the season. They have already Matthew Perot out for a while. Adam Lowry is injured. Mark Latest too. I mean, take your pick on who's hurt and who's healthy. But they still have guys in the lineup like Wheeler, Connor, Liney, Shifley, Ehlers, Cop. I can keep going here, guys, if you want me to. Mason Appleton. No, okay, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm not going to do that to you. But, I mean, yeah, when your top defense pair is Morrissey and Pionk or Kulikov and Pionk, yeah, I'd be a little worried too. But, unfortunately, that's how she goes. And Winnipeg's going to have to try to turn that around here. They have time to do it, but they'll have to do it themselves. Being buyers at this deadline for, for Kevin Shev, Kevin Shevel Day Off and Co. would be irresponsible. They should not not sell, but just kind of stand pat and be like, all right, let's see how this season goes because realistic if this team misses the playoffs, you may be seeing a few contracts head out the door. You have Con- you have Andrew Kopp that's making two point two eight for another couple of years. He's a restricted free agent at the end of his contract at the end of the twenty one season. So I am intrigued to see what this team is going to do. If they make the playoffs, you're right. They can still show they can be a competitive hockey team, even with a weak defense core. But we'll see how the Jets do down the stretch for the rest of their regular season. Probably one of the biggest trades to happen so far before the trade deadline has been, as of yesterday, Tyler Toffoli getting traded over the Vancouver Canucks from the LA Kings and Toffoli, who had himself a big night, pretty much single-handedly helping the LA Kings defeat the Colorado Avalanche in the Stadium Series game on Saturday. We'll kind of mention that here in a sec. Actually, let's get right to it. The the Stadium Series game where everyone was mad because nobody was able to get to the game because, ironically, a low-level college football stadium does not have great access points for a massive crowd. Surprise, surprise. People were 
in outrage that they were not able to get their get to their seats in time. Some people even get didn't get there until the second period, the second intermission. So a lot of fans want refunds for that. But that's neither here nor there because we're moving past that because I'm still against the whole idea of a stadium series despite Raleigh, North Carolina getting the game next year. As they're going to hold it at NC State Stadium. The Carolina Hurricanes face off against whoever they want to play, probably, I don't know, Washington, Florida. It wouldn't be interesting if there was Florida in that one for sure. But back to the trade here. Tyler Toffoli gets a hat trick, and all of a sudden his stock rises through the roof as he's traded to the Canucks. Los Angeles receives Tim Schaller, Tyler Madden, who is currently at Northeastern University with the Huskies. A 2020 second-round pick from Vancouver and 2022 conditional fourth. The pick is transferred to the LA Kings if Tyler Toffoli re-signs with Los Angeles. And that's obviously a big deal on that front just because Toffoli is on a team where the Canucks are not a borderline team, I wouldn't say, but they're a team that may or may not make it. It's very interesting to see what he does after this season. As I quickly run to his cap-friendly page, currently he is make he's got he's one year left at four point six million dollars. And looking at his numbers, he has been pretty solid this year. Thirty-four points, which before he was traded was third on the LA Kings roster, already matching last year's total. He had a career best fifty-eight points back in the 2015-2016 season. It'll be questionable if he can hit that, but if he does play. Big minutes with the Canucks, now with Josh Levo being out and Brock Besser being out long-term as well. He will definitely get the playing time. Brock Besser going to be missing the rest of the regular season with a rib injury. Josh Levo being out as well long-term. He is questionable for the playoffs. And the exact words for Brock Besser were eight weeks. So, and that was in, And that was an injury suffered last week against the Calgary Flames. And really... It's a mixture of Jim Benning adding a player but then replacing one as well because you're losing a guy like Bester, and there's not many guys with the shot that Besser has. And when you're trying to buy at the deadline, you almost have to try to figure out all right, what could best fit us right now. You could try to find a guy with a good shot, or you could just get a guy that can produce. 18 goals, 16 assists in 58 games is what Toffoli has gone through so far for the Kings. He's spent his entire career since being drafted by Los Angeles Kings in the second round of the 2010 National Hockey League draft. Wasn't on either of the Stanley Cup, actually, excuse me, he was on the 2014 Cup winning team, was not there for that first one, but has been a big part of the Kings' success and has kind of been one of their bright spots over the last couple of seasons as the Kings have slowly, slowly fallen off the face of the playoff picture in the Western Conference, but It'll be interesting to see what role he is used in. I haven't been quite told what capacity he will be played in right now as we're getting ready for tonight's matchups, a couple of big twos and eight games. And so far, nothing right now going on in terms of trades as I continue to look through my Twitter page. Obviously, a lot of reaction to all the trades, but probably the last one we'll talk about here is the last one really that's most notable. Montreal Canadiens making some deals. They send Marco Scandella to the St. Louis Blues. Marco Scandella, who was acquired by the Canadiens on January the 2nd from the Buffalo Sabres for a fourth-round pick. And that was on January the 2nd, like I said. 
Montreal receives in this deal from the Saint to the Saint from the Saint Louis Blues. They receive a 2020 second round pick and a conditional 2021 fourth. And Montreal receives the pick if Scandella resigns before the start of next season with the St. Louis Blues, or St. Louis Blues win two rounds of this year's Stanley Cup playoffs and Scandella plays in half of them. So pretty much, if you are keeping track, all of you Mark Bergevin haters out there, Bergevin has acquired Scandella for a fourth and has traded him to acquire a second and a possible fourth. Now, I don't know what Scandella, his role is going to be with the Blues. St. Louis more or less just kind of putting some depth pieces in there in order to go for another deep run in the playoffs. And you're looking at a guy in Marco Scandella that may or may not be, I don't say a missing link, but a guy that could play some big minutes for the Montreal Canadiens. He's played in 51 games this season so far. Or excuse me, 20 games. He's played with the a 51 with Buffalo. Excuse me, 20 with the Habs. He's put up 12 points. He's not a big scoring defenseman. He's 6-3-2-12. He's the kind of guy that's going to legitimately be a third-pairing guy. Go out there, hit a couple guys, pretty much give your top pairs some rest. And obviously, with the unfortunate departure of Jay Bo Meester, who, as far as we know, is still doing well and recovering well as well. Good to hear there from Jay Bo. They need extra, they need more defensemen added to the lineup. He had a couple of injuries last year, hence why he only played 63 games with Buffalo last year. Started off his career in Minnesota, has had a career high in points back in the 14-15 season that saw the resurgence of Devin Dubnik back in those days when he put up 23 points in 64 games. He's only been able to play a full season once, has Scandella. That's when he played 82 games a couple of years ago in the 17-18 season. But if you're St. Louis, you're just adding more pieces because you're. this is a team that like we said, at the beginning of the year, we were not sure if they were going to be able to do it again. Yes, they saw Bennington, but was he going to go through a sophomore slump? Was the scoring going to be there? I mean, shoot, don't forget, they were doing a lot of this without Vladimir Tarasenko. So just remember how good this Blues team is, a team that currently is still riding the top towards the top least of the Central Division, now tied with the Dallas Stars, as Dallas has just, because St. Louis has tailed off, they've only won two of their last 10 games. Dallas is just just trugging their way up towards the top. I mean, if could you guys have guessed that the Dallas Stars, a team that made it to the got a wild card spot last year, is all of a sudden a team that has a shot to win a division crown? Granted, Colorado has not looked so good. And now that Grubauer is hurt for what they say week to week on Grubauer, they're gonna have to ride they're gonna have to ride Francis and oh boy, Pavel Francis, I don't know if he can be their starting goaltender. Dallas has a legit shot. Unless St. Louis can turn around here in the last 20 games or so, Dallas may be a, a division leader. And not just a division leader, with how weak the Western Conference has been, a conference leader. Currently tied for tops in the points with the Blues. Colorado is there with their third in the conference with 73, with Edmonton and Vegas following up both with 70. I am interested to see where does Dallas make a move? Does Jim Nill make a move? Who wants to make those big moves? Because obviously plenty of time left. A couple, what was it? We got 10 days before the trade deadline. It's, it's a crazy time. And the worst part is 
it's all going to be over with by then. It's all the big stuff's going to be over with by then. So we're going to sit there on trade deadline day talking about, oh, man, look at this AHL deal that sent this guy to this guy. I mean, shoot, had had the trade that had happened earlier today. Remember the trade between Joey Keene and Julian Gauthier? Remember that big move? Oh, my gosh, if that happened on trade deadline, because that's a trade that happens on trade deadline day. That's one of those that they will overanalyze till kingdom come because they have nothing else to talk about. But that's pretty much it for the trades right now. Obviously, next week we'll have a big one. Then, of course, last week will be our last show for a couple of weeks because I will be on my honeymoon the first week of March. So I will obviously be out of, out of commission. Alex doesn't sound like he wants to do a solo show himself, even though I know all of you want to hear that for sure. But then we'll have, we'll have a show the following week and the week after that. And then I'm going to Texas, so I'll be doing a solo show down in Dallas as I'll be broadcasting some of the ACHA National Tournament, both men's D1, D2, and D3, and women's D1 and D2. I'll be down there. Maybe I'll have our good friend Thomas Biondo, who will be joining me down in Texas, maybe have him on the show, talk some hockey or talk some nonsense. That's usually what we do is talk nonsense. But sticking with the Canadians, some news and notes from going on right now. Shea Weber and Paul Byron expected to come back in the lineup tonight against the Detroit Red Wings for Montreal. And here's the thing about Shea Weber. Shea Weber, remember, was supposed to miss four to six weeks with a sprained ankle. It's been a week and a half. Now, um, this is coming from a guy who's actually had a sprained ankle before myself. And I can tell you, it was a minor sprain. A minor sprain where everyone's like, ah, he'll be fine in a week. By the second week, I was walking just fine. Slipped on a trampoline, on a soaking wet trampoline. Yeah, don't jump on a wet trampoline, guys. Just for future reference. Your feet can't handle it. But Shea Weber, through his previous injury history, not good, not positive, a lot of lower body stuff. They say four to six weeks with a sprained ankle. You're thinking, all right, he's old. He's already been injured before. You got to take it easy with the old man. That's four to six weeks. Not 10 days. If that was it even 10 days, I don't think it even was. This is a move because you have Paul Byron coming back. Brandon Gallagher, as far as I know, is still questionable. I haven't heard anything since then. But I am interested to see what the move is going forward with Montreal. Because I, you can't tell if this team is buyers or sellers. Yes, they just got rid of Marco Scandella. I mean, he wasn't like a big piece of the Canadians anyways. But is this team going to be good? Are they going to be bad? Are they supposed to be a number one team? Are they? Do they expect to make the playoffs? And I guess I wonder if there's a, an inkling here because John, John Bartlett, of Sportsnet. I believe he's on the call tonight for the Leafs-Penguins game on Sportsnet. He tweeted out, not an April Fool's joke. I'm paraphrasing this, by the way. I'm trying to think off the top of my head because I'm not going to try to go through my Twitter feed. There's already enough stuff going in and on in there. If there, if Weber plays tonight, which now he is, and does not miss another game for the rest of the regular season, he will play his 1,000th NHL game against the Nashville Predators on April 1st. I'm not kidding. 
and it would be in Nashville. Let's all just take this in for a second. If you're going to be bringing guys back in, Jonathan Durant's will be back in lineup tonight. He was, I guess, kind of had a nagging injury going on. Now, if that's just the move by Shea Weber to play the 1,000 games in Nashville, you know what, do what you want to do. But if this is a move by Mark Bergman to try to save his keister, you know what, I'm all for it. Last year we saw Kekalainen go for it with Columbus. Woo, let's keep everybody and sell the farm and go for it. Hey, they won a playoff series. There you go. It saved his job. Mark Bergevin sees that and looks and says, hey, if, if I went around, if we just win four games in the playoffs, if we get there, I may keep my job. Because don't let's be honest, folks. If Montreal misses the playoff this year, Mark Bergevin's going to go. Jeff Molson's going to give him a knock on the door and say, hey, Mark, can you pack your stuff and please leave? We have a new guy coming in here. That's probably what's going to happen. No question about it. Mark Bergman is playing. He's working for his job right now. It's similar to a guy playing through injury because he knows that there's some rookie coming along that's probably going to take his job. He is doing everything he can to try to keep his job and stay in office. As I look at the stands right now, Montreal, as of today, before all of the action on February the 18th, Montreal is currently sitting in the seventh wildcard spot, quote-unquote. They are whopping nine points out of a playoff spot. Out of a wild card spot. Eight points behind the Toronto Maple Leafs, who sit third in the Atlantic Division. And a whopping 15 points behind Tampa. So, nobody's catching the top two. It's a battle for third right now in the Atlantic. Really, the only team I think that realistically has a shot is Florida to catch the Leafs. They're two points behind them right now and a game in hand. Montreal does not have a game in hand on Toronto. They played 61 games, which as of right now, with the exception of the Detroit Red Wings, are the most in the entire Atlantic division. And surprise, surprise, folks, Detroit's not going to make it in. Detroit, by the way, with negative 106 goal differential. Negative 106. Yes, that is not a Jeopardy question, folks. That is negative 106 triple digits. The next closest team to having such a bad goal differential are the Ottawa Senators who have a sub-44 goal differential and they have a grand total of 19 more points than the Red Wings. I With two games in hand, Ottawa, you ain't catching them. You're not catching the, you're not catching the Red Wings. If you're curious to know the spread, between the team with the best goal differential in the NHL and the team with the worst. Allow me, ladies and gentlemen. The team with the best goal differential, the team with the most goals in the National Hockey League right now. Surprise, surprise, Tampa Bay Lightning. Plus 56 goal differential. Ladies and gentlemen, ready to do the math? Ring! 100 in 62 goals between the last place Detroit Red Wings and the second in the Atlantic, Tampa Bay Lightning. Boy, the Wings are bad. But let's go back to the Habs here. Habs, no games in hand on anybody. Eight points out of a playoff spot. Playing a definitely injured Shea Weber. Paul Byron, who I guess sounds healthy. Sounds like he's closer to 100% than most. And here's the thing. 
I don't think Charlie Lindgren sees the net. Charlie Lindgren doesn't see the net. You bet your bottom dollar that Caden Primo just stays in Laval the rest of the year. Keith and Kate is an afterthought. Carey Price is going to play more games than any goaltender in the National Hockey League, bar none, in the last half decade. I'm going to quick run over the numbers right now because I'm curious to see how far it is compared to everyone else because it's, it's incredible of how far ahead he is just in terms of starts because then again, you need to. Game starts right now. Carey Price has 50 starts. 50 of the 61 games the Montreal Canadiens have played in, Carey Price has started. Ladies and gentlemen, let's do some more math. If Carey Price plays the rest of the season for the Montreal Canadiens, he will have started 71 games. Now, let's go back to... I'm going to do a quick little run-through here. I'm going to use the NHL.com website to my advantage. Let's do... I'm not going to do some results. We're going to do season by season from 2010 until this season. All right? We're going to search it. We're going to search of how many who, or how many goaltenders have had the most starts since the 2009-2010 season. How many goaltenders have had... Take a guess, folks. Off the top of your head, how many goaltenders have had started over 70 games? All right, take your guess. You ready? You got your guess? Okay. 14. In 10 years of the National Hockey League, which, granted, yes, does include a lockout, so pretty much nine seasons. In nine seasons, 14 goaltenders out of the, what, probably 1,000? It says, it gives me, so they gave out of 988 records returned, 988 goaltenders that have played in the National Hockey League in the last 10 years, only 14 have started 70 or more games. Carey Price being one of them, 2010-2011 season. Let's quick run on the list. 09-10, Marty Berdour, 76. 76. Was that, was that the year Scott Clemenson was their goaltender? That's bad. 76. I mean, someone played, and he played in 77. Yikes. Cam Ward, 74 and 10-11. Missed the playoffs. Talbot in 16-17, where he went 42-22-8 and and with the Oilers. That pretty much had a Vesna caliber year. Started 73 games. Jonas Hiller in 11-12 for the Ducks, who went 29-30, by the way. This was before John Gibson, everybody. Started in 73 games. 72 for Lundqvist, Rene, Kippersoff, and Quick. 2009-10 for Lundqvist, 11-12 for Pecorino. That was his Vesna candidate year. And then Mika Kippersov and Jonathan Quick each hit in 72 in the 09-10 seasons. Braden Holpe in 14-15 starting in 72. Kippersov again starting in 71 in 2010-2011. And we also have Jonathan Quick in the 14-15 season. Evgeny Dabakov in the 09-10 season. Craig Anderson with Colorado at this time in the 09-10 season, each starting in 71 games. Which brings me back to my point. What did you folks notice there if you're following the seasons? Since the 2015 season, where we had two goaltenders that played over that started over 70 games, Jonathan Quick and Braden Holpe, only one other occasion it's happened since. That was Cam Talbot in that 16-17 season. It is very rare nowadays to see goaltenders play over 70 games, start over 70 games. 
it's rare to see goaltenders start over 60 games, 65 games. Case in point, talked about 2015 kind of being that cutoff point. 15-16, Jonathan Quick started 68 games. Cam Talbot, 67 in the 17-18 season. You have to go back to Pecorine in 15-16. So almost it's turned into the 15-16 season. Freddie Anderson in 16-17 played 66 for the Leafs. Remember, that was before anyone else really showed up for the Leafs in backup, at least in terms of backup Henny coming in late in the season. So my point being here, folks, is that Carey Price is going to have to go above and beyond what most goaltenders have done in the half, last half decade, most, even though it's only a select few that have gone well over 70 in the last decade. Now, granted, I could easily go back. Let's, I mean, let's just, let's just tickle our fancy a little bit here, folks. Let's go back to the, let's just say we'll set the season at the 2000 season, where now we're extending our 70-plus goaltenders to 47 because of Olaf Kolzik playing 72 in 99-2000. Marty Berdur playing 78 in 06-07. Marty Berdur started in 70 or more games since 2000. I'm doing this right now. I'm doing this quick. Actually, I'm going to click Marty Berdur's stats because his number, his name is showing up a lot here. Let's go for this career. Ready for this? In Marty Berdur's career at his peak, 76 games in 2009-2010 was his last, I guess, peak, I guess, if you will, even though they did make the finals in 2012. At least he had Johan Hedberg backing him up then. He started 70 or more games 11 times in his career. 11 times. And he started over 60 13 times. I'm just going to tell you this guy straight up. That's pretty darn impressive. And don't forget, by the way, in his, the year he won the Calder, Rookie of the Year, 94, he only started in 47 games. And then he's like, I'm just going to be the goaltender from here on out. And he was. And nobody contested him. You want to know why? Because he was Marty Berdur. He was Martin Berdur. He was the best for that long period of time. His goals against averages are almost minuscule. He had a 1.88 in 97, 1.89 in 98. It's ridiculous compared to today's standards. But, my point being, it's a new age. You need a backup goaltender. However, if Montreal is going to actually want to make a run at the playoffs, if Mark Bergevin wants to have a job by, the, by next season, Carey Price is going to have to start over 70 games. And I love Carey Price to death. He's always been one of my favorite goaltenders, but at this stage of his career, his prime, gone. His prime is way past. I love whenever he has a good game. Stops 35 or 38 or 35 or 37. Oh my gosh, Carey Price is back. It's back to the Carey Price of old, all-world Carey Price. Guess what, guys? It's, it's just not going to happen anymore. It's no longer a thing. Don't even try. Just don't even bother with it. Because guess what? Carey Price is six years past the Carey Price. Yes, he won the Hart Trophy in 2015. I know, I'm keeping up, okay? But it's been a while since he's been the best goaltender in the league. I can't tell you who the best goaltender in the league is right now. Maybe if Carey Price was on a good team. Maybe if Carey Price was on the Tampa Bay Lightning, Tampa Bay would win 70 of 82 games and win 16 straight to go to the But I'm not sure if this team can do it for this long. 
if the Canadians are honestly going to try to make a push in the playoffs in the final two months of the season with one goaltender and expect to have any success in the playoffs, it's ridiculous. If Montreal does squeak in, let's just say they do. I don't mean they're, like I said, there's only one point difference between Toronto and Philadelphia, so a wild card spot could be an option. That's two months from now. We're not quite sure yet. But let's go in the hypothetical that they do get a wild card spot. They play Boston in the first round. Get swamped by the Bruins. I don't care if it's a rivalry or not. Boston swamps them. As much as I want Boston to lose that series, swamped. Not a chance. Say Tampa jumps Boston. Play Tampa in the first round. Interesting series. Swamped in five. Not even a chance. They'll win one game at the Bell Center, but lose back in Amelie Arena down in Tampa. Don't you give me that, all right? All right, okay, let's say the hypothetical, they do jump. They jump to the second spot. They play Washington the first round. Six games max. Pittsburgh jumps them. Five, four, maybe that. Are you kidding me? This, this Washington team, this Montreal team, excuse me, will be gassed by the second week of April. There'll be nothing left. They'll play on that last day of the regular season against Toronto, and they will have nothing left in the tank. And hopefully they don't have to win that game. But if they do, great. Ryan Paling comes up, gets a shootout winner on the last day of the regular season, sends him to the playoffs. Guess what? Not a chance in the playoffs. There'll be no energy. They'll be dog-tired. The only upside they have, the only optimism you can go with if you're a Montreal fan in that scenario is that possibly the other team will overlook them and they may win a couple games here and there. Remember how the Leafs almost took Washington to seven? Yeah, because Washington didn't take these kids seriously. Now they do, and guess what? Now Toronto just can't win anything because they play Boston every year and they can't seem to figure that out. They can't figure it out right now, nonetheless. I don't... I can see what Mark Bergman's doing. Trying to save his job. But it's going to cost Julian his job. It's going to cost a lot of players... And if he does not make the playoffs, if he does not, because Shea Weber is going to be just and that's just a bag of bones by the end of the season if he plays the rest of the year. Same for Carey Price. But if this all goes for naught, if they miss the playoffs, if they start to tail off because of fatigue, well, may as well start singing na 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 na. There's just no way that Brent Bergman keeps his job if Montreal misses the playoffs, and if he does. I mean, you see what he had to do. Pretty much just said, all right, we're just going to play everybody. Well, that's not really his thing. Who is he going to buy at the deadline? Who does Mont- what does Montreal have left to buy? Yeah, they got a couple of picks, but why would you buy? It's not like, because Columbus was a fringe playoff team. Montreal doesn't even seem close to being a playoff team. These guys want to live their lives. These players want to live their lives healthy after their career is over, but we're just going to throw them to the wolves because we have a minimal shot, and I'm talking like a 17-ish percent shot, all right? This team should not be considered a playoff threat. You're right. Yes, Tyler, 21 games left in the regular season, or excuse me, yes, 21. You're right. If they go, I think, what was it? I think, was it Eric Engels or was it Luke Fox? Someone said they had to go, or no, I think it was Eric Engels on Sportsnet and Hockey Central yesterday said that the Montreal Canadiens would have to go 18 and 3. 18 and 3. This is a team that has not won more than three games in a row all season. Let's all take that into consideration. 
And now I'll agree with Tyler on one. Let's say it together. Montreal is not a playoff team. Let's say it again just to reaffirm it here. Ready? One, two, three. Montreal is not a playoff team. All right. Now, I said that. Montreal, you're welcome. You're going to the playoffs because I'm really good at jinxing that kind of thing. So Montreal will get swept by Boston in the first round. Toronto will somehow miss it because that's how the hockey gods work. Let's get some other news and notes here before we hit our grand finale of the evening. By the way, Malkin, according to Elliot Friedman, Evgeny Malkin left warm-up early here tonight. According to Elliot Friedman, he's saying we'll see if he's a gopher tonight. And let's see. I'm nothing, nothing going on here yet. I'm about to go turn the game on myself because even John Bartlett's tweeting about it because obviously the focus is on the Leafs and Pens. Yes, all you other Canadian hockey fans out there, I'm like, well, there's more other teams out there. Who cares? Evgeny Malkin was listed as a second-line center in the Penguins' tweet before the players took the ice, even though I've been told before not to trust that kind of stuff because I have messed up myself doing my own stuff with Davenport. All right, quick story about that, all right? So here's what happened. We were, I was with Men's D1 Davenport Hockey. I was, Malkin is out for tonight, by the way. John Bartlett just tweeting out along with Daily Faceoff. Malkin out. Late scratch after leaving warm-ups early. Interesting, interesting. I'm intrigued, Jim Rutherford. Tell me more. But going back to the Davenport story here. So like most teams, we started tweeting out our, our lines before each game. And our D1 team is able to do that because we can, we can house four lines three pairs of defense, an extra defense, and goaltenders. So we're on our way to Adrian, and I look at Phil. I'm like, we're about eh, about 20 minutes from the rink. Hey, Phil, do you want to give me the lines for tonight? So he sits right next to me, and I put him on the graphic, yada, yada, yada. And so he gets to the rink, and he gives me the – he gave me the four lines, three pairs of defense, and two goaltenders. So we get to the rink – Probably, this is maybe an hour before puck drop. Frederick Gilsdig comes over to us. Freddie Gilsdig, he's from Denmark. Actually, he's from the hometown that Frederick Anderson's from. He's been a second semester addition to the Panthers. And he comes over to the table. I'm sitting with head coach Phil Sweeney, head coach, or assistant coach Billy McSween, and assistant coach Matt Kalutis. And Frederick comes over, and he looks over and says, Hey, coach, I thought I was dressing tonight. And then Phil says, Yar. And he's like, Well, I saw on the Twitter, I saw on the Twitter that I wasn't in the lineup. And all of a sudden everyone looks at me and I'm like, Phil, you told me what the lines were. I forgot to add Frederick as the seventh defenseman. So he actually thought he wasn't gonna play. And so it was at that moment that I realized that I have power of attorney. I have power to determine who plays and who sits. Actually, that's a that's a great bit of power that no one should give me, but nonetheless, that was kind of a funny story with Frederick, because Freddie's a good kid, good left-handed shot defenseman that came on the team, and I'm like, ah, well, I, we may just not need you after all there, Frederick. I mean, he did play quite a bit in the game, a good thing, too. Didn't help Didn't help the Panthers, and unfortunately, losing to the undefeated Adrian Bulldogs that game, but nonetheless, showing how Twitter and graphics and such can be a little misconceiving, a mis- little, little misguiding, if you will. Now we got the Leafs game on now, so it'll be a little, maybe a little bit more sidetracked, at least I will be. Some other news and notes to talk about here. We got Miko Rantanen. Out currently, they're saying weeks right now 
as the quote is being tossed around. It's possibly four to six, six to eight, really all depends because of an upper body injury he suffered last night after falling awkwardly into the boards against Tampa. Everyone is pointing to the shoulder, a.k.a. the collarbone, which usually means about six to eight, but if it's just a sore shoulder, maybe there possibly could be a four to six, but he is currently not practicing with the team. They're not quite sure the severity of it. They'll probably maybe do some more tests before they give an official word, but ranting it out, and that's tough, like I said, for a avalanche team that's already missing Philip Grubauer, Nico Rannett, who did miss parts of the season earlier on with an ankle injury, needs to really, he'll need to be a guy that needs to be fresh by playoff time for the Avalanche because it's a guy you want there because, A, obviously, talent, to say the least. Very good with the puck, but you need your top players when you go to, to the playoffs. So we'll see if he's able to make a speedy recovery and a full recovery back because you want him at 100% come April. And as we talked about when we mentioned the Tyler Toffoli trade, Brock Besser done for the regular season with a rib injury. He suffered against Calgary last week. And Bruce Boudreaux, this was a little bit earlier last week. I think it was the day after we did our show. Bruce Boudreaux fired after four and a half years with the Minnesota Wild. Dean Evison taking over. Bruce Boudreaux went 158, 110, and 35 with the Minnesota Wild, only going 2-8 and eight in their two playoff appearances. As Billy Guerin deciding, hey, let's try to shake things up a little bit here. And, of course, Billy Guerin just trying to find his footing. It doesn't sound like Dean Evison is going to be the permanent head coach for the Minnesota Wild. They're probably going to see what's out there in the offseason. But right now, just trying to coast through the rest of the regular season and see what happens and see where Minnesota ends up. Because I'm not sure. I don't think Minnesota is quite at that point where they're seeking out a lottery pick. They are currently right now towards the, not the bottom of the league. They're 27 and 24, so they are above 500. Realistically, they are only seven points out of a playoff spot. So if you're looking at it, they're about the same spot Montreal is in. I don't see Minnesota as a contender, but they could make a run. If you get a couple losses here and there, that may be a team that may be threatening, but I don't see them making a legit run at it, especially now they got rid of their coach. They're kind of at the spot where the Leafs with Peter Horacek in the 14-15 season where they brought him in when the Leafs were around a playoff spot and ended up tanking, and they got a guy by the name of Mitchell Marner in that draft. You guys thought I was about to say Austin Matthews, didn't you? Wrong-o, because, well, if everyone knows, Austin Matthews was in the 2016 draft. In the 2015 draft, it was a Mitchell Marner. Mitchell H. Marner? What's his middle initial? We don't know? Oh, whatever. We'll go with Mitchell H. Mitchell H. Marner is who the Leafs got in that draft. And, of course, some of the more awkward news. I don't say awkward, but news that's just kind of fuddy-duddy. Zach Bogosian, suspended by the Buffalo Sabres for not reporting to the Rochester Americans. Bogosian, who was put on waivers, was not claimed and did not report down to Rochester. Apparently, he was told to by the Buffalo staff. And... Just a weird way to, if this is the end for Zach Bogosian, a weird way. And kind of similar to how the Dustin Bufflin situation is, where Bufflin had a pretty solid career and had it end with him not just clearly not wanting to play, not being healthy enough to play. Bogosian, his career really tailed off over the last few years. He came on, the, I mean, he was, I guess, part of the core when the Thrashers moved up to Winnipeg. 
but he's you know he's obviously tailed off a little bit. Had a couple of good little blips with Buffalo here and there, but obviously the team itself wasn't that good. So Bogosian's spotlight was minimal at best. So definitely a tough way. We'll see if anything happens to him. It doesn't sound like he wants to go. I mean, heck, that's why he didn't report to Rochester in the first place because he'd probably be one of their. I mean, I don't know if he'd actually play a whole lot because the American League is so funny with how they treat veteran players. Sometimes they'll play him a lot. Sometimes they'll play him none at all. I mean, look over here in Grand Rapids, we got Matthew Ford in the top power play unit. Heck, Chris Summers was on a power play unit with the Wilkes-Barre, Scranton Penguins. Like, those are guys that have played extended years along with, you know, their respective clubs, whether, you know, Summers played with Portland and he bounced back between Portland back when they were the Phoenix Coyotes and then got traded, went over to the New York Rangers, played more with Hartford, and spent the last couple of seasons in the Pittsburgh system with Wilkes-Barre. So it really all just depends, and sometimes the playing time just diminishes over the time, and that is how it goes for that. Now, for the main event of the evening. Well, I guess the trades are more the main event, given it's that time of year, but let's talk about some stuff by that. I mean, let's talk about me bashing people. So, over the past week, there have been a few incidents across the National Hockey League that have drawn the eye of fans, media, coaches, players alike. Let's go to Wednesday night. Zach Cassian. Tampa's playing Edmonton. Zach Cassian gets tied up with Eric Chernick. And I forget the other Oilers player. I'm not going to look it up now because it's so past due and everyone's talked about it. But Zach Cassian decides to kick a person with a hockey skate. Yes, it didn't do any damage. Chernak was quickly right back up, kept playing. Almost seemed like it didn't happen to him. If I was Chernak in that play, my stick is going through Cassian's brain for trying to kick me or something. I would, you got to stand up for yourself. If a guy tries to kick you with a sharp metal blade... For reference, folks, imagine, you know, if, if someone came flying at you. Imagine if you're in the kitchen and someone gets mad at you and they grab, you know, the butcher's knife and they start swinging at you. Or, excuse me, we'll say pushing for the sake of the motion. We'll say they're pushing a knife at you. Yeah, I'd be a little mad too, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd stand up for myself. I'd probably give it what for. Regardless, he gets seven games. So Zach Cassian, all that BS he was tripping about with Matthew Kachuk, it's all relevant. Zach Cassian, once again, I like to call him Zach Cocaine Kicking Cassian. Hey, how about that? There's a nickname for you. You can sell that in a WWE wrestling card. You kidding me? That's a, it's stupid. Seven games for, in any other facet of life, attempted murder for trying to take a shirt. Happy Gilmore at least had the decency to take his skate off and try to stab somebody. Cassian's just trying to kick people. Oh, because he wasn't hurt. All right, so all you're telling me is all I need is a chest protector to wear all the time and make sure I don't get hurt. Oh, and the crest of the logo. Yeah, his safety. His safety. B.S., George Peros. Get your head out of your ass. All right? Now, moving along here. Evander Kane suspended three games for elbowing Neil Pionk. Or Neil Pionk, excuse me. Yes, elbowing. And don't forget, remember, Evander Kane was suspended, or not suspended, fined for hit earlier this year for an elbow, so more or less a second slap on the wrist for Evander Kane. Evander Kane is not a sweetheart. He's not an angel. We get that. He does have a history. But, here's the problem. There have been other hits, and Evander Kane, who has been the least bit outspoken, to say the least, has been a guy that has always loved to show his true colors, and he 
called out the NHL, called out the Department of Player Safety. He went ahead and called out the league for what it was. Because he went on Twitter, even showed videos and clips of other high hits, other cheap hits, other legal hits, and pretty much chirped them for what they were. Said, hey, why was this hit not suspended? Why was this one? Why was this one? Why was this one? Why was this one? Because guess what? And yes, Kane has every right to be mad. And he took to Twitter and saying that his quote was, the Department of Player Safety is flawed, quote-unquote flawed. Absolutely. I agree. Then again, if anyone's ever listened to this show, they know that Angel the Player's Department of Safety and myself, they just, we just don't get along too well. We don't really have a hand-in-hand kind of relationship. So, I almost skipped over this one. Remember this, guys? A couple days ago, a couple days before that, Brandon Gallagher getting him with Zayn Chara. Good battle between little Gallagher and big old Chara. Gallagher gives Chara a tap, and Chara decides to cross-check Gallagher in the face with a hockey stick. Taking a good old piece of composite and going just wham right in his face. $5,000. Not $5 million, 5000 Only one comma, only three zeros following it before the decimal point. For cross-checking a guy to the face. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have ourselves a good old-fashioned heart-to-heart here. Actually, let's... Let's let me let's let me lay out everything that's happened here before we go into this little bit of nonsense. Nonsensical yelling probably. I don't know if I'll yell. I got neighbors and stuff. Claude Julien was a little mad after Montreal Canadiens lost in overtime to Dallas on Saturday night. Claude Julien called out the NHL saying how they had to play with two teams. They had to play against two teams on Saturday. Because the refs were against the Canadians, which is funny because everyone's like, oh my gosh, Montreal, when they play in Montreal, it's always the Montreal Canadians and the refs versus the other team. No, that's, there. yes, there are some nights. Uh, listen, NHL officiating is garbage. We'll get into that too. But Julian calls him out, saying they were awful. Max Domi, who was visibly clipped with a high stick, didn't get called. Ormeo was hauled down, Ormeo was hauled down in overtime. Nothing called. Stars win. So Claude Julien gets fined $10,000 for calling out the officiating, for saying the officiating is bad. Remember what, what John Tortorella did? He got fined a good hefty fine as well for calling out the league. But people tend to forget what happened when Brandon Gallagher stood up to the referee, Dean Morton. I'd love to play the clip for you folks, but unfortunately I don't feel like editing a bleep in there tonight because I have other stuff to do. Dean Morton told Brandon Gallagher which is caught on mic, caught on camera, saw it on Twitter, saw it everywhere, told him to go blank himself. Add the word you want to put there, because guess what? You're probably right with the profanity that was used in this scenario. Dean Morin, an official, a guy that the league continues over and over again to defend, or at least the profession they continue to defend, even though they're complete garbage on every single night in some facet or another, they defend him even though he's the one telling the players, you know, the talent, you know, the thing that makes this league run and makes it actually profitable, the league, not the officials, the players in this league, tells him to go blank himself and nothing. Nothing at all. Dean Morton gets out without a scratch. But yet Brendan Gallagher, who was cross-checked in the face and then told to the face in the same week, 
One guy gets $5,000. That's chump change for a guy like Chara. And then you have Dean Morton, who is probably calling a game tonight somewhere. I should probably look up who's calling the game tonight on at scouting the refs, NHL ref scouting. It's really fun because they tell you who's there so you can yell at the person while you're watching the TV. If the broadcasters don't tell it, because sometimes they don't announce who's doing the games and whatnot. So let's, uh, let's have a little talk, ladies and gentlemen. Tyler, you've talked long enough. Ow, shush it. We're going to go into this. We'll go into more trade deadline talk next week, guys. Don't worry. I know that sounds a lot more fun because it sounds more informative and less me getting mad at people. First, Vander Kane gets to spend three games. Fine. Whatever. Three games. Elbow. Head. Rule 48. 38. Whatever the heck you want to call it. I get it. Fine. Move on. Kane calls it out, though. Calls him out because obviously he's mad. He's suspended, which he deserves to be. I would be, too. Because he shows the reason why the Department of Player, System, Player Safety is flawed. The system is a joke. Are we surprised? Should we be surprised? A guy that went to Princeton. He's smart, right? Um, I'm just going to go on a limb here, guys. I'm going to guess to you. I'm going to guess here. I'm going to guess to you. I'm going to guess to you. No, I'm going to guess that George P. Peros. I'm going to go with George P. Peros. P. sounds like probably he's like George Philip Peros. That sounds like a good name, right? George P. Peros probably didn't go to Princeton to be a mediator or get a leadership degree or run a department of league and make it look like a joke. I'm pretty sure that was not a degree he received at Princeton. He played hockey there, apparently, even though he didn't do much of that playing in the the NHL. I can tell you that much. So my question is, after continuing to suck at his job, the NHL continues to allow him to make decisions. He has multiple times, multiple, multiple times made not just the wrong decision, but dumb ones as well. Playoffs, regular season, doesn't matter. He has continued to make himself look like a fool, and I'm not talking about his mustache either. He has been a joke ever since he's taken the job. Everyone thought a tough guy would be a good No. You know what you want? You want a guy. You almost want a guy like Wayne Gretzky in there. You want a star player. Like I said before, and I'll say it again. I'll keep thumping this drum until the king, till kingdom come. Brendan Shanahan did a great job. Why? Because Brendan Shanahan had been on both sides of the coin. He has tried to kill a guy with his hockey stick before. Heck, he tried to jump into the stands. Look up Brendan Shanahan trying to jump in the stands in the, with the New Jersey Devils. It's a great video. Same without a helmet. Look at the locks of love that Brandon Shanahan used to have. But Shanahan knew what also it was like to be a star player, a leading scorer. Leading scorer at the Blues, Hartford Whalers guy, Detroit Red Wings superstar, scored over 500 goals in the NHL. I think over 600, if I'm not mistaken. Close to it, at least. Regardless, top scorer in the NHL. So he knows what it's like to be a star player, but also he knows where the line was drawn. Even in the 90s, the dead puck era where it was stick and grab, hook and hold, and try to kill the other guy when during the playoffs. That's how the game was played back then. Matthew Schneider took over for a minute. Wasn't too bad. He was, he was not a... Now, granted, he wasn't a superstar, but he knew how the star should be treated. Now, Matthew Schneider, still with the league, gave the duties to George Peros, thinking, hey, let's have the tough guy do it. Because he knows what it's like. He knows how to keep, you know, mediate the game, be a safe guy. 
Because it wasn't like George Peros ever cheap shot at anybody. He just fought people. And it wasn't like he went headhunt for people. He just, you know, fought a few guys, and that was it. Like I said, didn't play a whole lot of hockey. So what does this guy know about protecting players? The exception of going after the guy that just tried to hit Peros play with Montreal. Guy that tried to hit Brian Gianta. Guy that tried to hit Alexei Kovalev. All right, Peros? Or excuse me, played for the Ducks. Guy tries to hit Corey Perry. If Corey Perry doesn't try to stick him in the face, you go fight the guy that hit Corey Perry. Same thing with Getzlaff. Same thing with Krinz Kunitz was there. Regardless, that was his form of protection, not penalizing players. Get someone in there that has some gosh darn experience in taking it. Get Paul Korea in there. There's a guy that's been knocked around a little bit. Now, granted, Paul Korea wants nothing to do with hockey anymore. He stepped away from it entirely, which I totally respect. But I'm going to tell you right here and now that Frederick Anderson almost gave the puck away and Pittsburgh almost scored. But I'm going to tell you right now, there needs to be a change, and there needs to be a change fast because this league is turning itself into a joke. The officials are already bad enough. I mean, we're getting to Angel Hernandez of Major League Baseball bad here. All the baseball fans out there, you're laughing your keisters off. If you don't watch baseball, look up Angel Hernandez bad calls, and you will totally get what I'm saying over here. This league is a joke in terms of how they punish players, of how they give out discipline. They don't give out discipline. Guy tries to kick someone in the chest. Seven games. You get Yeah, it's two weeks. Two weeks of pay. And it's not even under his, his future contract. If he was making $4 million, okay, that makes some sense. But not even, really. Seven games for trying to kick a guy with a metal blade. Claude Julian calls out the refs because of bad officiating for clearly missing a high stick. Don't forget, there's two refs in this league. Two refs, two linesmen out there each time. And yet they still find a way to be to make a joke of themselves. And then when a player calls him out, he tells him to go blank himself. When the league finds out that the coach tried to call him out, they find him more than it would be for a player to cross-check him in the face because, oh, it's under the CBA. Which is why I'm almost with, I, I don't even know who's on that side of the CBA because if that player association is fighting for that, the players are a joke. Because if you can get away with cross-checking someone in the face for $5,000 because that's the max allowable, just just go frig off. I mean, you're an absolute bum if you think that's okay, if that's a reasonable punishment for that. Just go kick rocks, go somewhere else, because that's in any other league, in any other sport, that's a game or two suspension. Maybe three games for trying to, you know, decapitate someone with a hockey stick. So why in the world does this league continue to make fools themselves each and every time something bad happens? If we saw tonight in this Leafs-Pens game, Sidney Crosby gets cross-checked to the face by, let's just go with, we'll go with Zach Hyman. That'd be five or six, would it not? And I'm not saying there's anything, it's favoring Sidney Crosby, the league. What I'm saying is, why is it that a $5,000 fine is suitable for a cross-check to the face. Why is it that when someone gets elbowed to the head, that you have to almost defend it by showing other examples? Why is it that when a guy gets kicked to the chest just because he's okay means we don't have to suspend him that much? That is an awful 
mindset to have when you're making your decision. Yes, you try to go by case by case. I get that. Then make it a case by case. He kicks him in the chest with his ho- with a hockey skate, not with his boot, not a, not even a butt end. He tried to kick him in the chest with a sharp metal blade. Tried to any other part of his body, it cuts him. You give him less than ten games. Joke should have been done for the year. Zdeno Chara cross checks a guy in the face with a hockey stick. Five thousand dollars. Joke. Ten games. Make an example out of these players. Do your stinking job. This is embarrassing. I can't believe I've talked about this more than five times in a season. I shouldn't have to. I should be saying, oh, what a great play. Hey, did you watch this awesome goal? Heck, did you see Kucherov's goal last night against Colorado? He puts it through the five hole and puts it underneath the pad where nobody even thought it was a goal. What a funny play that was. What a great way to end a hockey game, a fantastic game. I should be talking about that. I should not be consistently talking about of how dumb this league is of how stupid they look and how for some reason they think that having George Perilous is in charge as the overseen body of safety even though he makes these players feel more unsafe than they ever have in the last 15 years stupid 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 good lordy my lanta we should probably wrap that up after this shouldn't we all right quick last little bit of things here college hockey news the be a new league in the start of the 2021-2022 season. The new Central Collegiate Hockey Association. The WCHAs kind of defected a little bit as seven of the current teams from the WCHA, Western Collegiate Hockey Association, are moving to the new CCHA, which will currently have Bemidji State, Minnesota State, Bowling Green, Ferris State, Lake Superior State, Michigan Tech, and Northern Michigan with Bowling Green, Ferris, Lake State, and Northern being a part of the old CCHA. So it'll be because they're pretty much excommunicating the Alaskan teams, Fairbanks and Anchorage, and Alabama Huntsville. So just some news on that front. It'll be kind of cool because I remember I called it with the when Harrison and I talked about the new league. Said they're not going to know what they're going to name it yet. Where I legitimately just straight up yelled out and said, hey, that'd be interesting. Um... As I'm kind of looking at through the Star Tribune, the from Minnesota Star Tribune, there is a possibility that St. Where did I just see it? St. John's or St. Thomas, excuse me, possible candidate, as they are waiting and still approval to move from D3 to D1 after being forced out of the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference of Division Three. Arizona State had been talked before about going on to the WCHA but they had not accepted the offer, apparently, by the league. At least that's what I've been told from multiple sources. So, interesting. Interesting, interesting indeed. See what's going on for college hockey there. Uh, last bit of news here. The NHL 20 tournament, the eSports tournament that Alex and I have been talking about for eSports night at the Grand Rapids Griffins, is still available to join on to, to still be able to secure your spot. So we'll put the link in our description for this week's episode. Come join Alex and I out there this Sunday, the 23rd. 10 a.m. is the start time for the tournament. 4 o'clock puck drop for the Griffins game later on that afternoon. It'll be a fun time. We'll be out there doing social media stuff. So if you can't be out there, make sure you follow us on our Twitter page, at the Kiel Podcast, hashtag the Kiel Podcast. We'll give you all the good stuff. Get in-depth interviews with some of the players that are taking part. They're doing a Mario Kart tournament as well, but... We're going to be focused on the NHL. Play some chill. I played a couple games on Sunday before I watched, well, before I went to 
go with my dad to go watch the 500, which ended up getting rained out. I realize that I have a little bit to learn, a little bit to get back into, but I may have an opportunity to cause some hay, make some hay over there. May have a chance to win something. I may just win a single game. I probably won't win any more than that, but it'll still be fun, though. But nonetheless, for that, that is it for this one, folks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Kiel Podcast. We'll be back next week, hopefully, hopefully with Alex, and hopefully some fun news about the NHL 20 tournament we'll be a part of, hopefully some more trades to talk about, which means by tomorrow there'll probably be five or six more, so be sure to follow us there. We'll give you some of our thoughts, some of our very dumb thoughts on some trades. I'm going to turn things over now to the Pittsburgh-Toronto game now as I'll do some more work myself as I got a couple games this weekend on the call. And, of course, I got to eventually mentally prepare myself for doing games in Dallas. Not ready for the warm weather down there. Thomas Biondo, who, like we said before, has been on our show a few times, he has been, he said it wasn't too bad last year, which I'm beginning to think that was a lie. But nonetheless, that is it for this one, folks. Once again, follow us at The Kill Podcast on Twitter using the hashtag The Kill Podcast or use the hashtag TKP. I am Tyra Kuehl saying thank you once again, folks, for listening to this episode of The Kuehl Podcast. Goodbye! Goodbye!